Thank you for tuning in to the Beyond the Check Service Industry Podcast. If you're enjoying what you're listening to and all my amazing guests have to offer, please consider supporting the show by subscribing to our Patreon. The link is at the bottom of the descriptions. All donations go to support our ability to continue to bring you fun and informative content. We can never do it without support from the listeners like you. So thank you. I appreciate you all. And without further ado. Welcome back to another episode of Beyond the Check Service Industry Podcast. I am Rashawn Parker, and if you have not yet, please go watch my television series, Beyond the Check, Worker Owner Edition, now streaming on Amazon and Fox's 2B TV. Fox's 2B TV, it's free TV. I have a fantastic guest today. She really cares about the service industry's money. Uh, she actually wrote a book entitled Tipped. Uh, which is uh, the life-changing guide to financial freedom for waitresses, bartenders, strippers, and all other service industry professionals. Uh, she's come a long way in her life. She was once a homeless teen. Maybe she danced for some dollars, but she definitely did not graduate from college. And now she is a personal finance expert and money coach who spent uh, two decades working in every imaginable position in the service industry. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, Barbara Sloan. Hey, Barbara. Hi, Sean. Hey, thanks for having me on. I'm super excited. Thanks for being here. You're you're doing a great service for the service industry. <laughs> I'm 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 very passionate about it. So I'm I'm really I'm really excited to have it out in the world now. So what? In, I mean, obviously, you went through your own struggles through throughout the service industry. And life here is her book. It's uh, yeah, like you should be doing. It's a there's a tip jar on the front of it and you should save those tips for the future how should should we do that (laughs) so i think for me you know i grew up low to middle income didn't have a lot of financial literacy didn't have a lot of financial modeling and i got into the industry after a pretty tough childhood and i got into the industry because it felt very easy and i needed something easy at the time i needed something um quick. I needed something that would give me fast access to cash. And I needed something that allowed me to be myself. And so the service industry was like the perfect place for all of those things. And I, I, I hit the ground running and I loved it. Um, but what I noticed after two decades of working in the industry is that, you know, I didn't really move the needle in terms of my own finances. And I got myself into a debt cycle many times. I remember using payday loans, Oh, um, no, not the payday loans. <laughs> Anything but the payday loans. High interest credit card products. Um, for me, the kind of a pivotal moment was 2013, 2014. I moved to New York City with my wife. I got two jobs when I moved to New York City. Um, we had like $700 when we moved here too. Um, but my first job was working as a bartender at Coyote Ugly. And then my second job was working for um, working on Wall Street for an unregulated firm. So it was part trading floor, part independent sales organization that was like loan sharking, essentially. So like that job was a huge education for me on the markets and on predatory lending and financial services. And like it was such a toxic job after like six months and the third trader being shipped off to rehab. I was like, I got to go back to like. Bars and construction full time. (laughs) Exactly. This is way too toxic. Um, So I've always had, I've always ran kind of two career paths in tandem. 
I've worked in construction and I've worked in the service industry. I like to say dirt in the day and dirty in the evening. Um, <laughs> and so I got a job at a construction company. I was employee number four and I was afforded the opportunity to grow with them. And they hired me to set up an HR department and to do their accounting and finance. Well, I had never knew what an HR department was. So I didn't know what a 401k was. I didn't know what a paid time off policy yeah. was. None of that. I didn't know. None of that exists of for servers or bartenders. We're like, what? None of it exists. <laughs> my, so, my wife, uh, when she started working for a hotel, she finally got all those things. And she was like, she wanted to take time off. And they're like, well, you're, you won't reach your, your full time to get your benefits if you if you take that time off because you don't have enough paid vacation time and she's like i don't understand what <laughs> what do you mean i can't yeah. take the time off because it's just like exactly. a, a whole nother world once you know you have to you can't just you know because if you're a server or bartender if you you know generally speaking if you need time off you can just take it right or switch shifts or switch find shifts someone to or... cover you exactly and so it was sort of in deep diving all of these benefits where i was like oh these support the financial lives of employees. Like for servers and people in the industry who work off of tips, one, you're starting off with federally $2.13 an hour as your minimum wage, right? Yep. So when you're claiming tips, your entire paycheck is eaten with Into those, the taxes, with yep. your claimings, exactly. And then if you take a paid day off, even if your state requires you, to give people paid time off what most people don't understand. They'll be like, oh, everyone in our state gets paid time off. And it's like, sure, in theory, but for people in the service industry, one, that's $2.13 an hour, mm -hmm. depending on their state. But two, their tips aren't included in a paid time, paid time off situation. So no one in the service no. industry really sees a real paid day off. And so no. when you are taking time off, you're starting behind the line again and not getting you know, you're, you're behind, you're behind the, you're starting up behind the gate. Yep. So same thing with health insurance and same thing with the pre-tax benefits like a 401k. Or just so, getting to the full time. And a lot of restaurants will just make sure that you, that all of their employees don't hit full time, right? So they keep all their servers under 30 hours to make sure that they don't ever have to offer them insurance, right? I've seen that yep. so many times, just like there's that close and you know, the people coming in and the insurance is coming in. And it'll happen if everybody's working over 40 hours, but oh, nobody got over 40 hours. And oh, guess yeah. we're not getting insurance. Not, no insurance. Yeah. And so then you're, it's just one medical bill, one slight emergency away from total financial collapse. Uh, service industry. Yeah. We age into the most economically disadvantaged people in the population. It's a huge problem. So I think this falls into one of your fun titles in one of your chapters. You got you have one that's called My Fuck Up Funds. Uh-huh. <laughs> my fuck up funds. Your fuck up funds. And so that's that's just in case, you know, you do something stupid or something fucks up. You you got a story in here um about getting your money stolen. Or lost. I have a few stories in this book, but yeah, I, I lost a billfold full of money. And I ended up, you know, we've all been there where we've like set it down or left it in the bathroom or whatever. And it has all your money from your shift in it. It probably has the 10 top order that you haven't rung in yet. And <laughs> all of your sales slips, your credit card receipts, everything. And, and you know, you lose it. And 
I remember making the situation so much worse. I was mad at my manager. I was mad at my tables. I was mad at everyone in the restaurant except myself. I mean, I'm, I was mad at myself too, but <laughs> I'm, I remember making the situation so much worse. And even at and that time, that, you had the foresight, you'd already started saving for, you know, just in case you fucked up at this point. Well, this was sort of the situation where I was like, this is how it kind of was created. The situation happened. I was like, I need to be able to self-insure against these problems because I can't be acting. I, I can't be acting like this at every single inconvenience or mistake. So it started out as just like a fuck up fund. And I remember the first <laughs> time I used it was I dropped a really expensive bottle of wine. And I remember just being like, this is what my fuck up fund is for. Like not every <laughs> restaurant's going to make you cover it, but some of them will. And I had it in case I needed it. And it gave me a, a, a lot of peace of mind. And so that, that was sort of me slowly starting to climb out of my own financial mistakes. And then in 2016, political climate was a lot. It was hard for me to like watch news or anything. So I did a social media and media blackout. And I just started like reading personal finance, soothing personal finance books, <laughs> listening to personal finance. Yeah. No, I mean, compared to the, the media the at news, the time, yeah, yeah. It, it, to the news, it was soothing. So I just started deep diving everything I could get my hands on. And I listened to probably 10,000 hours at this point of podcasts and books on tape and reading books. And I never saw anyone who looked like us, anyone who had spent decades in the industry and, and talking about how they manage their money, talking about how they built wealth. And I was like, this is a huge problem, <laughs> right? <laughs> the only time don't. anyone in our industry sees anyone from financial services, it's in a really predatory way. And I was like, this has got to stop. Somebody, somebody's got to talk to these people about money. And I had a lot of imposter syndrome. And I, I, I was like, I can't possibly be the person to do this because <laughs> I have no college, <laughs> no credentials. Um, and I was, you know, I made up all of these other excuses. I was like, oh, well, I've only worked in six or seven states and I've only worked in, you know, a dozen different roles in the industry instead of like all of the roles. And I think I remember listening to some other podcasts where it was like, just write the book you wish you had had. And I'm like, well, I can do that. And you did. And uh, I did. You yeah. did. I talk, I, I, I talk a lot about how servers, you know, it's an easy come, easy go industry, right? the service industry we're, we're used to making a lot of money and we're used and they're used to spending a lot of money and just the atmosphere yeah. of the service industry itself is you know you made all that money well let's go out after work and now we're going to spend all the money and so you might have made three hundred dollars that night and when you wake up in the morning you had twenty dollars left right and mm -hmm. servers and bartenders do this repetitively right go home guys yeah. go home <laughs> <laughs> you just well, worked all night go home <laughs> I mean, I think that for a lot of people in our industry, we feel shame about that, right? And we look at all of these other people in these other industries and we're like, oh, look how responsible they are. But it's because they're in environments that are conducive to that level of responsibility. All of it, when you're in a corporate nine to five, not everyone's going out to the bar afterwards. So you don't have that pressure or that tension in the situation that you need to say no to. You don't have to rely on your, you know, willpower in order to. <laughs> Pres preserve your income for that day because avoid that's the not... peer pressure. <laughs> yeah, so it's it's ten times harder for people in this industry. I have two sections in the book that are um, all about environments and how you have to protect yourselves from the environments that you're in because our environments are really challenging. But it's not just this industry; 
every industry has occupational hazards. Ours are just unique to us and we don't talk about them enough. Not at all. Not at all. I, I mean, yeah. when I started, the, I, w- I was a busser at like 15, but then I was, I was a waiter at 18 in this like fancy restaurant. And I was making at the time what like five hundred dollars a week, right? Like, and pulling in—that's good money. Back in nineteen ninety fucking six, it was. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You're like, oh my god, I'm making two hundred dollars a night sometimes. Like, this is crazy. And you know, after that, there's just no going back to like a nine to five or minimum wage. You know, like it's when you can easily, easily, regularly make twenty dollars an hour, even back then. Like, why would you ever go work somewhere else? Particularly if you're not yeah. if, you, if you're not invested in your future, you're just you know trying to make as much money as you can now, and you're going to spend it all as quickly as possible because that's just what you do. How, you know, it was before TikTok, right? Before TikTok, before Instagram, before all of like the information has just been spread like wildfire, right? Like when we were growing up, there was. There was nobody telling me what a what a whole life insurance was just on my phone, right? Like, oh my god! Like I just learned no one war- li- no one warning you against a whole life insurance <laughs> policy, no one telling you please stay away from anyone who says the word whole life insurance policy. Oh really? Yeah, I love whole like- I love whole life insurance. Why don't you like whole life insurance? Because oh. it combines two different priorities. It's combining investments and insurance. Insurance companies don't have any special stock market that they invest into. They're charging you a premium to have access to the same stock market that the rest of us already have access to. Plus, like, you don't need life insurance forever. You need life insurance for a short period of time. So why wouldn't you just buy life insurance for that short period of time? Well, because you can start taking the money out of your whole life insurance within 10 years. Because you're... Right. You're combining it into two separate mm-hmm. priorities. You're, right. You're so. wanting it to work as an investment and as insurance. Most most whole life insurance policies, I think, have a yield of like three or four percent, whereas the stock market averages. I mean, the historic average for the stock market in general is 10 percent. And so. all right. So stock market, because, you know, Robinhood <laughs> changed the way that, you know, I, I've noticed, you know, during during the bubble of 2020, you know, everybody in the service industry was like on their phones with Robinhood all of a sudden, right? And everyone's yeah. like buying GMC and it's <laughs> like, no guys, yeah. don't do it. <laughs> but they, Robinhood it, wor- it worked out for a lot of them and not they, so good I for most of them. <laughs> what they did that was awesome was I think they democratized investing in a big way and they helped people who had never invested before get more comfortable investing. Um, you know, I think Robinhood is great for your sandbox if you want to play with like picking a few stocks yourselves, but I just don't think that they're the place you want to keep like your, you know, your big savings buckets, like your retirement and maybe some of, some of your other buckets because they're a relatively new company. They're not, you know, <laughs> necessarily going to be there forever. Yeah, and they have they have some some policy issues that they need to work out. But I'm also not <laughs> licensed to give financial advice. So again, these are just my opinions. <laughs> What's your opinion on good things for uh, servers and bartenders to be saving up for to invest in? Yeah, so I think 
one thing that I really like to point out, I do coaching as well for people in the service industry. And one of the things I always like to get people started with is something specifically for retirement, because that is where our industry falls short is in saving for retirement. Most people retire with social security in mind, whereas our industry, one, we don't have a habit of understanding how much we make. And so we don't have a habit of claiming how much we make. Mm -hmm. And because of that, we are not eligible for the full social security benefits. And so we will be retiring to practically no benefits because of that process. And um, so I think people in our industry need to be more diligent about setting up systems for their retirement. And so if you're somebody who's on a W-2 at your restaurant, club, bar, salon, whatever, um, then you have access to what's called an IRA, individual retirement account, and you can have access to an either Roth or a traditional type of IRA. Um, and then once you fill that bucket up, you have to move on to what's called a brokerage account, which is an after-tax investment account. And then for people in our industry here are on 1099s, which if you're on a 1099, don't complain about being on a 1099. I think 1099s are amazing ways for you to write off business expenses such as health insurance, your cell phone bill. Like, please don't tell your boss that they're being evil by keeping you as a 1099 because there's a lot of benefits to that. But you also have access to a solo 401k and other like entrepreneurial type of retirement accounts that you can fill, put much more in than an IRA. Uh, would you ever recommend servers just LLCing themselves? Because I know a lot of people who do that. Um, yeah, as far, I'm not. as far as the 1099s are even concerned, like if you're going to be 1099ing yourself in a way, it's it's better to go through an LLC than as your personal social security number. I'm not a CPA, so I'm I'm not a I can't <laughs> I can't give that advice. But like I always did it as a sole prop, like through my social. So I think you should ask your CPA whether or not you even need to do an LLC. I think that really depends on how extensive you're going to get, whether you're trying to like run properties through that or, you know, I think if you're just writing off your insurance and your cell phone, you're probably fine. But again, this is like very specific to who you are, what you're doing, your situation. Yeah. There's just lots of, lots of stupid little tricks and tips about that entire industry that's flourishing all over Instagram and TikTok. So. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but don't, I mean, don't take Financial advice from people you hear over the internet. That includes me, but like also I've done years and years of research. <laughs> well, that was the, that was the problem. That was the problem with consumer investing and Robin Hood at the time was, you know, people weren't really trained to do these things. They just all of a sudden were just like, oh my God, I guess the stock market just goes up. And then when the, when the hard reality came, you know, I know lots of people who lost tons of money because... They just refuse to listen to the fact that it's a bubble or that, you know, or do the opposite of whatever Kramer says. I know a guy who literally does the opposite of whatever Kramer does, and he's made millions. He just does whatever Kramer says. He does the exact opposite, and he's made millions. <laughs> that, that's an interesting That's an interesting perspective. Markets are usually pretty efficient, so it's, it's in interesting for either of those swings to, to get well, I mean, it's been, it's been it's been a crazy four years, right? And it's going to be yeah. an even longer next couple years. But yeah, um, but it, it for this entire new generation just to see that all happen because people have done it for years are super used to the ups and downs, right? 
mm-hmm. and the occasional yeah, the occasional and, deep corrections, right? But I think that's what makes people in our industry really ideal candidates for investing is that we're already used to the ups and downs with income. We're already used to the idea of a little bit of risk versus reward when it comes to knowing that our income is based on our performance. And so I think we're already primed for a little bit of that volatility. We're already primed for that long-term thinking of like, well, we'll get it on the next shift. We'll get it on the next (laughs) shift. And that's how you have to be as an investor. You have to be like, you have to know that you're playing the long game. You have to know that if you just consistently keep putting money into the market over time, that your contributions are the biggest determinant of your success, not necessarily what the markets are doing. As long as you're well diversified and you're buying a little bit of the whole market, then overall, yeah, you are going to you are going to see trends that go along with the entire market, which is that it tends to go up on a long term average. <laughs> uh, patience. Yeah. How, how, how do you how do we patience. teach them patience? Because, you know, service industry people are not the most patient people. They Again, they make their money, they spend their money, they, you know, but to think long term and from such a young age, right? Because a lot of, you know, the service industry's base is, is younger, right? 18 to like 25, 26. There are two ways that people most commonly become millionaires in this country. The first is through their 401k and the second is through their primary appreciation through their primary residence. And so if we think about the 401k and how we replicate that, the reason that Americans get wealthy through their 401k is because of automation, because Sharon from HR gives you a form, you check a box and you never have to think about it again. Again, that works against our industry because we have these fluctuating incomes and we can't make these consistent deposits that we can't think about. So for us, we have to figure out ways to automate that so that it's mindless for us, whether it's just like 50 bucks comes out of my paycheck every single week into my brokerage account or into my IRA. We have to make it that automated for us so that we can do that consistently. So I got acorns for for a little while. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, Acorns a great, great platform for, excuse me, for like rounding up your just, purchases into your investments or just choosing, you know, cause it has the, a different settings of like, whether you want to invest in large tech companies or whether you want to be a little more safer or it, picking like groups and kind of like a 401k does, right. It just picks groups of, of different markets and holds your money in basically, um, ETFs, right. It's basically, yeah, ETFs it's, basically are, its, own, its own form, little ETF, right. ETFs are great, but they're also, you can buy and sell ETFs. I, in the book, I have an investing chapter and I love my investing chapter. It's my favorite one because if you understand what it's like to be at a bar, you will understand how to invest by the time you're done with this chapter. The entire chapter is an analogy to the bar. So I call ETFs something like, it's like, it's like being at a 24-hour diner. Like maybe you're not going to be making the best choices when you're selecting things at 3 a.m. And that's kind of ETFs, right? Like, because you can buy them and sell them whenever. And maybe that's just a little too much optionality for something that is going to be our retirement in 50 years. Maybe we shouldn't be making moves like that on something that needs like a very long-term approach. So I, I love Acorns. I think it's I think it's a great platform. But um, 
I'm a big fan of Vanguard personally. Vanguard is a co-op and that's the reason that I love them. So it's just like it's member owned. They're institutional. They've been around forever. And because they're member owned, like they give really low fee, low cost to a lot of their funds. And they have some of the lowest cost funds out there, which means yeah, like if it's a low F- cost expense like, ratio, more money is in your, in like, your pocket. Like the Vanguard, um, uh, I just had a brain fart. Um, the uh, S and P, like Vanguard S and P. Yeah, their their S and P is great. It's a low, ex- it's a very low cost way to get into the S and P. Yep, Touché. big fan, big big, big fan. fan of them. I want to hear more of these bar, <laughs> bar analogies. So, like, you don't buy. Tell me, you did something that has like don't buy the whole bar around. we do talk about so this is actually a a story that i i talk about in the bar is like when people roll up to your bar and they drink and drink and then they're like you know what i'm tapped i i have no more money i gotta go home you have to remember that they're spending what they have left over after all of these systems are in place their investing is automated. Their paid time off is automated. Their health insurance is automatically deducted. For people in the service industry, when you roll up to your bar after a shift, you're spending what you have, not what you have left over, because you have to put those systems in place after you mm-hmm. receive your income. It requires another layer of like mental shifts for you to be able to deduct out all of those expenses and then say, oh, okay, maybe I should only spend like 10% of what I have left over. Or, you know, it just requires you to be a more diligent budgeter. I have noticed uh, with direct deposits now, um, because, you know, a lot of cash is shorter and shorter and, you know, everything's going more digital. People spend less cash, people carry less cash. And so a lot of servers, bartenders, et cetera, are actually receiving higher paychecks as opposed to mm-hmm. walking away with cash. And so now with direct depositing, uh, almost any direct deposit within your bank, you can set up to have it buried and pull percentages from your check into different accounts, right? So that's, yeah, it's, that's a good it's way. It's definitely to, getting better. <laughs> to, set up, to set up your automation is to break down your financial in into percentages of what needs to go where before you ever even touch it. And so when it actually hits your bank account, then you only have what you have left to spend. Yeah. For um, people who are in the spicier side of the service industry, um, I like to tell them to keep two separate bank accounts in case one of them gets shut down. Um, But they have one bank account where they do transfers from. So like, let's say this works for anyone in the industry. Let's say that you funnel all of your money, whether you're making deposits or whatever, into one bank account, you can consistently pay yourself a even amount from that paycheck so that it or from that bucket. So it feels like you're getting consistent income and so that it will help you to be able to track and budget more easily. That's a thing that we often advise other business owners to do. So pretend to be your own boss. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, you are your own boss and you have to be you have to be a good steward over your your income just like just like you're an owner of your company. Right? I mean and and today's day and age and particularly with, you know, with the recession coming, you have any just like little tips and tricks for for people to just, you know, pull through this the tough times? Yeah, my favorite 
my favorite resource overall in all of the financial pillars and all of all of financial advice is the emergency funds. And that's in the fuck up fund, fuck you <laughs> fund, all of the, the F funds um, chapter that I have. Um, your emergency fund should be three to six months of your um, living expenses. You're like bare bones living expenses. This is what I need to get by, keep me and my family safe. For three months. Um, three to six months. Three to six yeah. months. Three to six months worth of living expenses. If you're just starting out, then aim for three months. If you have three months, then try to buffer it up to six months because a recession is, it's a challenging time, right? People often pull back on luxury luxury goods during a recession. And that does include going out, eating out eat. going out. Typically though, in recession, we don't see a reduction in people going to the bar. Alcohol industry does very <laughs> well during recessions. So if you are somebody who's maybe, maybe you're at a, a diner, an, a way to protect yourself during a recession would be to find an establishment that has a liquor license, has a full liquor license. Maybe you're somewhere with just like beer and wine. Maybe that means that you move to somewhere with a full liquor license. Lots of bar um, seats. Always recommend it. But my God, have you noticed how expensive drinks are nowadays? Drinks are very expensive. Just like just in the last two months. Um, it is it is an impressive, an impressive amount. All right. I don't, I'm not sure how old you are. And I'm not going to ask. But. When I first started going, I worked. I worked <laughs> in the industry for over two decades, so I've, I've seen some things. <laughs> when I went to the bars, started going to bars, you could go and get a beer for two dollars. Like a shot of whiskey was like maybe three dollars, right? And I remember fifty cent drafts. Oh, so. I oh, I remember fifty cent drafts. I remember power hours where you'd go, you'd pay like two dollars, and you could drink whatever you wanted for like an hour, which was. Go oh, college. That was yeah, good old college. Yeah. <laughs> At like five in the afternoon too, right? Like that's what power hour. <laughs> We're a bunch of old timers. Like, man, inflation has really hit our <laughs> hit our industry. <laughs> I remember when I had to dial the old rotary to get number zero. Oh man, that was a pain in the butt. It was he had to wait. I used to have to write my orders down on my paper. <laughs> now everyone's walking around yeah. with their pads to connected to toast and you know. You know, people yep. people even just yep. order from their phones at their table, and then someone brings the food, yeah. right? Like, but yeah, I I totally recommend if you don't have an emergency fund, get an emergency fund three or six months worth of living expenses. There's a few ways that you can do this. I like to make it a game. If you don't have a emergency fund, then maybe you want to create some sort of fun way to focus on that savings. I always like to do like some sort of challenge. Like if you're a server and you have like a six table section, make one of your tables your emergency fund table. No matter what tips you get from that table, that's going into your emergency fund. Hmm. Or if you have a bar, pick a, a couple of seats, like whatever those seats are, that goes into my emergency fund. If you're a dancer, maybe a specific bill type, maybe a person wearing a certain colored shirt. There's a lot of ways <laughs> to game gamify these things to make it fun, you know? <laughs> And you're like, all the, all the guys with red so shirts, hard. that goes into my emergency fund. <laughs> <laughs> and then those guys, the next time when they're like wearing a green shirt, they're like, why is the service not as good as last Because <laughs> you're not going in my emergency fund unless you wear red, man. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I mean, I think you're going to care about those tables a whole lot more when you realize that those tables are going into investments and that those tables money are going to be paying you for the rest of your life. You know, it just takes on a whole different whole different layer of meaning 
<laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> uh you have a lot of fun tips, um, just in here too. Um, like how to negotiate uh your hourly salary. Like do you do you think that we as servers or bartenders can ever get a raise? It's so interesting, but I do think that you know, we're seeing a lot more establishments go to like a tip share. Mm-hmm. And I think if if you're somebody who's you're on a heavy lifting shift, like then there's no way for you to be recognized for pulling the heavier labored shifts than to talk to your manager about increasing your hourly. They are not required to stick to the subminimum federal wage or even the state subminimum wage. They have the option to pay you more if they want to. It's on us to advocate for ourselves. So I always like to tell people to do a, a, a year-end review. Like our industry doesn't give reviews. You have to make your own. So write all of the things that you've done awesome throughout the year. Like remember when I picked up for those two parties last minute? Remember when I, you know, reorganized the the side work lists for, you know, all of the servers? Remember when I, you know, a, a list remember of when all I did all that, that man- managerial work that I wasn't being paid for? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you can encourage them, like, maybe there's not a lead position in your establishment. You can be like, hey, I'm, I'm kind of running lead here. Maybe there's a way for me to be compensated for that. Yeah, I make your life easier. Maybe maybe there's a way for you to show that support to me. I mean, if you're I mean, if you're a good employee and you want to keep the good, you know, you, you like your job, you want to stay at your job. I don't think there's anything wrong with, you know, asking for the raise. But what happens when you know you you are that star employee? You ask for the raise, and you know they just don't even care. <laughs> that, I mean, you know, because that that's that's the majority of 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 service, you know. And you, you're right about adding leads or or a head server, head bartender, right? Like, give me some sort of managerial position to make the excuse for giving me more money because I'm already doing it. You just you know. If the manager doesn't have the ability to give you more money and they maybe feel bad about that and they want to keep you, then maybe they'll show it in other ways. Maybe they will give you preferred sections. Maybe they will give you first on for certain (laughs) shifts. Maybe they will, you know, maybe they'll cut you early if you need it. You know, I mean, like. Then the other servers get mad at you. (laughs) I'm like, why does she get all the tables? It's such a messed up industry. (laughs) <laughs> I like, and, but the thing is it's not going anywhere there's over 5.5 million people working on a tip-based income we're not changing this you know no, and, and and truth be told the majority of servers would never want to be put on hourly you know like in america sure there's the history of the way that tipping was designed and yet it is basically slavery but at the end of the day i trust other human beings to give me more money than i trust companies to give me because yeah. weirdly, people, most, not uh, a good 50% of people actually give a shit, right, about their service and care and understand the hard work that it actually is. I think everybody should have to be in the service industry or the military for like a year, right? Like, I, I totally agree. But I also think if we look back to the history of tipping, railroad workers used to be on tips as well. And, you know, they went on strike and they got their their minimum wage and they got their benefits but like, when's the last time you had a really great time on a train with a train employee? Like, our industry needs to be motivated and incentivized with that tip because that's what keeps it fun and engaging. If I didn't have to require, if I knew that my performance was not, 
you know, based on my tip, I would, I would not care <laughs> as much about <laughs> being true. as engaging. I wouldn't be trying as hard to raise the energy of the establishment that I'm in. I wouldn't be trying as hard to, you know, make the connection between the two single lonely hearts or, you know, finding out what this guy and this guy do for a living and what they have in common and how they could talk at the bar. And like, I, it just wouldn't be the same. I wouldn't be as motivated. So there's a couple, I've been a lot of places in Oregon um, and, and a couple places around the country that have gone into like this co-op format where mm-hmm. the tip is actually included into the price of the entrees and the cocktails and everything else. So they basically just raised everything by 20%. And then that all comes off and is shared amongst all the employees, right? So they're all basically owners. And so they share all the profit at the end of at the end of every month. But on top of that, everyone gets their base hourly pay. Plus the cooks, the bartender, everybody's just, and they have to rotate positions. So not everybody is just a bartender or a cook. They all have to share mm-hmm. the positions throughout the week. And so nobody ever feels slighted that, you know, they only, you know, because the bartender is pulling in all the money, right? And so they're being the friendly one. They're being the person who can, you know, gets that $100 tip, right? And the cooks are back there cooking, sweating their happy asses off, basically, <laughs> you know. <laughs> It's miserable. Like That's a kitchen, so fun. <laughs> a kitchen is miserable. But like, and that is probably one of the hardest jobs in the restaurant is back there. You got, you're in the weeds, you got 50 fucking tickets and you're trying to get all those steaks correct. You're trying to get all the hamburgers cooked. You know, you're just trying to get everything right. And it's just insane. And they're back there making, you know, $12 an hour and you're in the front, you know, walking out with 30. And so yeah. I've never understood. I mean, because you have to love cooking, right? To, to, you have to, love to, cooking. to put up with that for years is how it's been. And now a lot of restaurants have gone to tip pools where they're including the cooks. Yeah. But uh, I will and, also and, say and, those, and the, and the those servers chefs, get mad. <laughs> the chefs, the chefs are guarded from the general public and the general public is awful. I like to say like, go on any <laughs> Facebook thread, read the comments of a Facebook post. And that is what your bar is full of. Like you are managing so many different personalities you are shouldering and shielding a lot of strange requests strange statements chips at your confidence at who you are i mean it is it's a battlefield out there with the general public (laughs) oh yeah you you can't let them affect you right like there's just no and for starting servers you know the girls crying in the back uh (laughs) because the table was mean to them or they boundaries are so important in this industry and it's definitely something you have to develop if you're going to make it long term i just don't i i i became very just callous you know not callous in like a mean way just callous and like i don't care what you say or do like you know, you're not going to affect my day it's more of just being above the rest of it or above anybody's attitude like you know just maintain your positivity pat yourself on the back at the end of the day make sure that you are aware that you did the best job that you could do and otherwise fuck them yeah i don't fucking and this goes back to the emergency fund and why it's so awesome is because for people in the service industry you do have that power imbalance where people are constantly asking you to do things or to you know they will say whatever they want and think that they can totally get away with it and when you have an emergency fund when you have enough savings to know that you can walk away from a job if you so that you can keep yourself safe so that you can say no to certain requests that feel off limits so that you can just be like, you know what, if, if, even if you have a toxic manager or, you know, a terrible boss who's putting you in 
unsafe or uncool situations or that just, you have the ability to walk away. Or just won't give you that raise you deserve. You can go get it somewhere else. You have the time. Right now, yeah. it's an em- yeah. Right now, it's an employee's market. I don't know <laughs> what it'll be next year, but <laughs> oh, I, I mean, it's a, it's it is amazing to me that we actually do have the shortage that we have because it is one of the most m- easiest money making professions for just the general public to have is the service industry. And yet we have this huge major shortage for servers and bartenders just straight up. I think we think it's easy also because we've been doing it for so long. (laughs) There are, and 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 this is a, this is a poor feature on, on the industry as well is that we don't realize how skilled we are. We are super skilled at our communication skills, our ability to manage time, our ability to to understand the rotation and the shifts that are happening across like three different levels of, of an establishment. Like we're very skilled and we don't realize for people who either aren't skilled or aren't trained or maybe don't have that craft side to them, like maybe this industry is just not for them, that it's it's not easy. When you went for your other jobs on Wall Street, did you put your servers through service history on your resume? Oh, 100%. I run a business now. I own a construction company here in Manhattan. And everything that I learned about business, I learned in the service industry. Like you are well prepared to run a business in the service industry. You are the beginning, middle, and end of every transaction. You're constantly doing back of the envelope math. You are managing lots of different types of personalities. A lot of times in the industry, you're opening and closing for people. You know, I mean, you're just, you're having to be responsible for a lot of things. You're having to apologize. You're having to smooth things out. You're having to fix problems. I mean, you learn so many skills in this industry. I think anyone who's trying to hire someone should hire someone in the industry. Right. I feel like employers, maybe, maybe more so now, but um, back in the day, didn't look at that from the light that you just shown on it, which is that, yeah, multi-talented profession, right? Like organization, personality, problem solving skills, uh, de-escalation skills, right? (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) De-escalation more so in the bars than the other clubs. But (laughs) you got that one guy whose just state came out wrong three times and he is about to flip the table over. Yeah, and we work across a lot of we work across a lot of different establishments that also hone our skills in different ways. Like if you work at a at a sports bar or something, like you learn volume, you learn how to do things quickly. Whereas if you're working at a dive bar, you really learn interpersonal skills, like because it's a slower pace. You're having to connect more with people. You're having a lot of engagement, a lot of conversation. Fine dining, you have none of that conversation. You're having a lot more of the points of service. And, you know, so it's it's really, even as we switch establishments throughout our careers, we're honing many different skills. You hear that, employers? Hire, hire ex-service industry people. They're tired of waiting on you. They want to work for you. And they're highly skilled. <laughs> and they're ready for some benefits. <laughs> and they're ready for some bennies, man. <laughs> yeah. And they're bennies and they're 4Ks. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, where can we go get your book? Oh, yeah. So the book's available on Amazon. I think you can just type in tipped or tipped book, and you should be able to find it pretty quickly. Um, I also do one-on-one coaching. I'll do money talks. If you have a bar, a club, a restaurant, somewhere you want 
to send me to talk to your staff. I truly believe that when more people in the industry are more able to look after their money, when they have more strong financial foundations, they become better employees, they become happier, healthier humans. Um, and so I'm happy to come talk to your staff if you have an establishment. What about the owners? Um, what can the owners do to improve their their employees' financial futures? Uh, from from as a restaurant, as a bar, as a strip club, as a what? Well, like, can can they make changes? Can you ever that's advise such a great them? Question. Right? You're the first person that's ever asked me that. Really? <laughs> and I'm so I'm so <laughs> thrilled that you just asked me that. Um, I think owners can definitely make changes, have conversations about bring me for a talk to your staff. That's what you can do is help educate them on financial literacy so that they can be protecting the money that they're making. Um, our industry has such high turnover and that turnover comes from a few different things. Let's say you had a shitty shift or you only made 30 bucks in a week. If you didn't have that emergency fund, you can't ride out certain storms. You're just like, screw this job. I'm not making enough money anymore. I need to find something else. We also get super burnt out because we don't have time off. And so I think establishments could implement like, you know, maybe talking more about how you, they can structure taking time off um, to help their employees avoid burnout. I'm a huge fan. And obviously the service industries can, can go both ways on this, but just the three day work week, huge fan. <laughs> so I'd, re- I'd I'm, way I'm... rather work three doubles and just be done for the week, like 12 hours, 12 hours, 12 hours. And I don't have to work for four days. And, you know, nurses' schedules, firefighter schedules, they, uh, they, you get a lot of free time because, you know, you have to wake up, you go to work, you're there for eight hours. But when, if you're there for four more hours, you get days off, right? So, mm-hmm. uh, and Chick-fil-A just did that too. So they just implemented, I think, the, I think the three-day work week uh, for their employees if they want, which is... I'm, I'm a big fan. And if you are... If you're investing in a way where you know that eventually your investments will be able to provide you a portion of your income, like I am a part of this community called the Financial Independence Retire Early Community. And it's always people talking about how they can retire early or become work optional or work part time. If you had if you had given me my book at the age of 20, I would already be retired by now. I would already be totally financially independent from the from the service industry and able to work two, three days a week. And I think that, you know, our industry has a lot of possibility. It does. Uh, one last question. And so owning a home, right? We're so <laughs> you want to be able to buy the home. You need to work the job for two years. You need to claim all that money so you can actually buy the house. How important is that? It's important because, I mean, that's how a lot of people in this country build their wealth through their primary residence. And so you have to claim all of your income in order to qualify for traditional lending. If you're not claiming all of your income, then you're going to fall prey to predatory rates and you're going to be paying twice as much for your house as everyone else on your block. And that's not building wealth, right? That's making payments. Right. Same, um, same with rent, right? Your, your, your rent is sometimes higher than what your mortgage would be. It's just that you have don't have the ability to be approved for the things that you need to, even though you're going to spend more money, they still won't exactly. get right. So my advice for people who are interested in potentially getting into home ownership is to start going to open houses. Even if you're just starting to claim your tips, even if you're just starting to get your credit um, in a good position, 
go to open houses, talk to brokers, talk to lenders, find out what it's going to take. Um, just the more you start putting yourself in positions like that, the more you start to realize like it's possible for me, you'll start to see how that path can form and you'll be accountable to yourself and you'll start claiming your income and saving your down payment and um, knowing, knowing how to get there. And one day you will be a homeowner too. Service industry people, you too can own homes. Just yeah, be patient. <laughs> awesome. All right, Barbara, uh, where can we follow you at? Or find please, you? please, yeah, please follow me at Tipped Finance. I'm on all the socials. I'm, I hang out mostly on Instagram, so that's at Tipped Finance. Um, I'm trying to start TikTok. That is that is a, not a young person, or that is not an old person's game. <laughs> <laughs> Just take all your Instagrams and put them on TikTok. It's fun. <laughs> yeah right um so at at tip at tip finance on the socials if you're interested in getting in touch with me i love to see industry people win so like if you have some financial wins please email me those i love to shout them out for the rest of the community i don't think our industry does a really great job of modeling we're all super comfortable talking about income but we just kind of stop the conversation there and we don't talk about all of our great money management stuff so if you have a win shoot me a win i'm happy to post it to the rest of the community um www.tipfinance.com and i'm barbara at tipfinance.com make sure to send over those questions and stories because i want to read them too how are you doing out there are you succeeding in maintaining your own financial freedom in the service industry let us know Awesome. Barbara, thank you again so much for being here. Ladies and gentlemen, go get tipped and find out how you can secure your financial future as well. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening. And Barbara Sloan. Thank you. Thank you so much, Rashawn. This was really fun. Thanks for being here. We'll do it again sometime. And I'm totally going to pass this around to everybody in Savannah because they definitely need to read this. This is, I mean, the easiest, funnest way to like really understand what's going on and what you can do about your financials. Right? So, awesome. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. Thanks for being here. And uh, everyone, go watch my TV show. Cheers. Yeah, so good. <laughs>